Hi friends, my name is Eric Barnett and I'm a singer-songwriter from Charleston, South Carolina and you're listening to Songs of the Unsung. Songs of the Unsung is a podcast where I talk to fellow singer-songwriters about their influences, their songs, and their journey. On this episode, I'm talking to George Fox, a.k.a. Foxy G. George is a front man for Big Stoner Creek and also runs the Songwriter Soapbox every Monday night at Chico Feo. George is a really genuine guy with a really compelling story. Enjoy. Thanks for coming out today, George. Man, it's great to be here. Thanks for your interest. Yeah, well, I'm very interested. I've I've enjoyed your music ever since I met you at Fleming Moore's place. That's right. He was having a barbecue, and you were there making barbecue. That's right. I was. And going to do that at, well, not the barbecue part, but I do have a Fleming Moore show coming up soon. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell, tell us about that. I'm going to play, I think it's the 28th of May at Fleming's Underground Somerville Backyard Venue, uh, doing a a co-bill with um, the wonderful Sam Ray. Oh, excellent. At Fleming's place, uh, you gave me uh, a thing of your Foxy G's salty smoke, your smoked salt. Cool. I, I, I probably did. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's excellent, man. Thanks, I use man. it a lot. I, uh, I'm still doing it. I actually just about out right now. I need to get to work and, and make some more. Um, Southern Flavor Magazine did a, a spot on my, uh, this past month. Really? And then everything I had just disappeared. Good problems. With, it, it, a good problem, other than I need, you know, a workshop full of people re- making it, I yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah. It's another full-time job. You well, if you're I mean? hearing this, check his stock, because it is fantastic. Thanks, man. So let's just get this out of the way. Let's talk about the George Foxes you aren't. Okay. You're not, uh, let me know if you are. You're not, not the, you're not the English dissenter from the 1600s. George? I did not start the Quakers. Yep. That's not you. Nope. Uh, not the Canadian singer songwriter, George Fox. Not that guy either. Not George, the future Fox, the boxer. I don't think so. Okay. You don't think so? I've got some unaccounted, uh, time lapses Some time here. slip yep. away. That happens to the best of us, I'm man. Woken up bruised. So you are George A. Fox, a.k.a. Foxy G. Foxy G, yes, sir. All right, man. Originally from Kentucky. I was born in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and then uh, did some growing up outside of Lexington, Kentucky, right outside of Winchester. And um, that's where all the family yeah. still is. And kind of got that one foot in the bluegrass heart, so to speak. Were there uh, players in your family? There's music lovers in my family. Okay. And, you know, maybe a piano player or two, some brass musicians. My dad could jump up and play the drums. I don't. You know, he'd be that guy. Go, let me play the drums. But then he could really do it. And uh, he could also do a pretty good Jerry Lee Lewis imitation on the piano for, you know, just one little riff yeah. he learned, and then he knew three chords on the guitar. You know three chords on a guitar gets you pretty far. It get a long way, man. Man, It'll if you get buy you all a capo. the way to West Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> you buy a capo, it gets you a lot farther. Damn, that's like 36 chords. Yeah. 48, something like that. So there was music going on in the house then? Always. My parents were uh, people that turned the stereo up real loud and danced in the middle of the day in the den, and whenever they had soirees, which was, you know, pretty often, um, it always ended up with the den full of people with the stereo cranking and, and, and people dancing. Nice. What, what music was it? I, anything from, um, lots of the, you know, the original rock and roll stuff, the Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis Presley, then mutated into a combination of that and, and what became the outlaw country, oh. uh, movement, the, the Willie and Waylon and the boys and the boys Redhead, redheaded stranger. I remember my dad buying that record when he bought his new turntable and, Technique speakers and all this stuff. It came <laughs> home with Redheaded Stranger. All right. Yeah, you can you can do a lot worse than listening to Willie Nelson growing up. You're right about that. Or being <laughs> old or anything. God love Willie. Yeah, man. When did you start playing guitar? I started probably, I started and stopped a few times, but I think my first guitar lessons were around six years old. Wow. You would think I would be 
a lot better. <laughs> but um, I typically, I've um, always get caught up in thinking about a song or a lyric and and not practicing my guitar stuff. I've heard plenty of virtuosic guitar players that can't write a good song right. to save their lives. So, so it works out well. It uh, works out. I, I play with some guys who can play a lot better than me, and I know that the reason I do that is because I've written some, you know, what You've I like to think of. Songs. Well, thank you. I aspire to upper-level mediocrity. <laughs> were you writing songs at an early age? I started writing songs in high school, but they were um, they were kind of parody songs. Mm. I would take somebody else's song, I would try to change words and make it funny. And it wasn't until I went to college, in my first week of college at the University of South Carolina, I ran into this little band called the Blue Laws playing this fraternity, um, what do they call them, a rush event. Uh-huh. And uh, the Blue Laws were fronted by an amazing songwriter and performer, Danielle Howell. She was still in high school, and I was a freshman in college, and she blew my mind. Wow. And uh, I joined the fraternity based upon totally – I didn't even plan to join a fraternity or anything like that. I said, that guy that was playing there in her band was a member of the fraternity, and I knew I had to get close to whatever these people were, were doing. And then she actually, I was so enamored and just blown away. Because you could take whatever Danielle is right now, that force of nature that she is, when she was them, 17 years old, it was magnified tenfold. Yeah, had the energy and it was oh raw my and God, unpolished. It was and, raw and just yeah. blam in your face. And like I say, as a, I was just completely blown away by her. And then I talked to her about songwriting and and... She gave me some great advice and told me not to worry about what anybody was going to think about what I was doing and just mm. write it for myself and not care. And that really kind of set me free and started me, uh, you know, writing stuff, making stuff up. That's that, fantastic advice. Coupled with the fact that every time I learned somebody else's song, people told me how wrong I was doing. <laughs> I said, well, if I make up my own song, nobody can really tell Nobody's me I'm doing know. it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right on, man. That's, that is great advice. Uh, I do have people on here that I talk to that they they really want to write a song that becomes a hit or wants to write a song that somebody else wants to sing. While that, you know, can certainly buy some cars and houses, that's that's not necessarily a thing I kind of connect with. It's I I to me songs are very personal. Me too. And I'm trying to uh, work towards writing more universal you know, it's hard actually, to write it, fiction, isn't it? It really is. Or you can make personal songs that, you know, you can leave out some of the <laughs> more personal details and, and maybe cultivate them towards right. a more universal feel. But you can kind of tweak it to make to, uh, you know, protect the innocent or, or more often protect the guilty. I just, <laughs> I just put my granddaughter's name in, in the last song I wrote. So that's, that's yeah. pretty personal. Awesome. It rhymed. What's your granddaughter's name? Eliza Jade. Eliza Jade. Right on. So at USC, is that where you met Jamie? That is where I met Jamie Crisp. Yep, for the first time. He Excellent. was playing in a band called Psycho Toy uh -huh. at that point, which is a punk band. And I didn't really know him well then. Um, but he was also somebody I would go see at Rockefellers and stuff. And I was just like wanted to be part of this rock and roll scene that was going on, but I was so not. <laughs> I was just a geeky 18-year-old from Orangeburg in, in all the way to Columbia, 45 miles away to the big city for college. Yeah. Uh, and we'd go see them. And it wasn't until I moved to Mount Pleasant in 1987, along with Jesse Pritchard, that Jamie and those guys ended up somehow connecting with us and needing a place to stay when they were in town to play club dog alley downtown mm -hmm. and they ended up crashing on our couch and that started our friendship that's i guess that's been 30 years sometimes it's running into the right people at just the right time in your life man it is always that yeah and i mean if we look at it right everybody that we run into are the right people that we were for that time in your life yeah yeah i a lot of people often think back and think, if I could do it all again, I would do this differently, I would do this differently. But 
at any given point, I look at my life and I think anything differently, I wouldn't be right here right now. And there's nothing makes me happier than being right here right now. Right. So yeah, that's, that's cool that, man, you ran into just the right people. And Jesse Pritchard, the guy that I still played a gig with last night and, uh-huh. and is still in Big Stoner Creek. He and I were on the same JV football team. Really? Really. I was two years ahead of him. I was in the ninth grade. He was in the seventh grade. But shortly after that, we were picking together on tailgates of trucks and, you know, and vacant, vacant lots at night, bonfires going and stuff. And Excellent. Is that, was that an Orangeburg? Or Orangeburg. That, Orangeburg. Yep. Right on. Jamie's a Kentucky guy also. He was he? a Louisville, born in Louisville. And, um. Uh, We've all traveled up there and seen, met his family, and they've mm-hmm. all been to meet my family up there, where where actually Big Stoner Creek runs through, right near where our family, little family farm and stuff is. So we used to take everybody on a pilgrimage to the actual <laughs> creek. Got to see it. You got to get in it. That's you gotta right. Got to get in and do a little mud crawling. <laughs> we had a couple bottles of the Big Stoner Creek water that we rode around with. <laughs> got to get baptized gotta in the get creek. Got to get baptized in that creek. How did y'all end up in Folly? Well, I took the long road to Folly, and I don't know why I waited so long to move out there. I lived all over Charleston or Mount Pleasant. I even lived right out here down Wapu Road. Uh Never lived at Folly. And I would always try to get my friends to come downtown that lived on Folly, and they'd be like, oh, I don't know, man, I'm so far away. i go, what do you mean so far away? I just rode my bicycle over right, there yesterday. Right, yeah. yeah, I can't. But now that I live on Folly, I totally get it. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Why do I want to leave? It's got everything I need right here. There's a beach, it's a bicycle. There's some people, like if you're not familiar with Charleston, South Carolina, there are its sections like any city, and Folly Beach is its own thing. It's a different world. And as is every section, but sometimes you meet people and you're like, that's a folly person. Right. That, and, and man, you're a folly guy. I, yeah. I like it. I feel like I, I found a home there and I want to ride it out as long as I can afford to be over there. <laughs> I feel like the folly people. And, and when I say folly people, that's, you know, quotation marks, capitalize it, italicize it. Those are the kind of folks that, you know, they're not the snowbirds. They're not the tourists. They are the folks that if those bridges fell in the water one day, be right. they'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be all right. I've <laughs> thought about that. I've been like, how can we slow this thing down? Yeah. I'm not going to blow up the bridge. I'm not saying that. <laughs> so with, uh, when did Big Stoner Creek start? Uh, about 1991. 91. Yep. Uh, we were, uh, you probably don't weren't here for it, but there was a really cool rock and roll spot downtown on Cumberland Street called Cumberland's Bar and Grill. And I had a every Tuesday night gig there that they called, they made it up. They called it Hillbilly George Fox of the Two Live Mudruckers. <laughs> and it was just me and then whoever I could get to come jam with me. Yeah. And all of a sudden I kept getting the same three people. It was Chris Erbland on drums. Jonathan Gray went on to play with Jump Little Children on bass. Yeah. And um, Hawk Morphy, fiddle player, mandolin player. He played 27 instruments. Wow. And we kept doing it over and over and over again and, and decided that, hey, we're, we'll be a, let's be a band. Yeah. And I said, well, I've always wanted to name a band after that creek up there in Bluegrass Hills of Kentucky. And they said, let's do it. And then the next thing you know, we played... 1,800 gigs together. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Well, and then we Jonathan left, and we got Jamie. Mm-hmm. And so that was, I mean, it, he, nobody ever quit a band better than Jonathan Gray did, I don't think. he. How'd that happen? Well, it's a very interesting story. To me, it's interesting anyway. I just run into Jamie Crisp at Black Mountain Music Festival in Black Mountain, North Carolina. He said, Fox, man, I really like what you and Big Stoner Creek are doing. You know, if you ever need a bass player, <laughs> I would like to do it. And I go, man, that's great, Jamie, but you know, our bass player is solid. He ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Cut to next week. We're walking down the Market Street, getting ready to play at T-Bones or something. I can't even remember where, but there were these three guys busking in the street. And there were these young guys, you could tell they were good. One of them was Jay Clifford and 
another guy, one of the or the Bivens brothers were there, and I saw them. They were, you know, art school kids from Winston Salem, mm -hmm. and Jonathan was in the music program at College of Charleston, and they were about the same age. And whenever I saw them, I saw this spark of chemistry between these guys in real time. And I swear, within thirty seconds of them meeting, I said, "I just lost my bass yeah. player." And yeah. sure enough, next week I was calling Jamie. I was going, "Hey man, uh, remember when you said you wanted to play with Big Stoner Creek?" He said, "Yes, let's do it." He packed his bags and moved two days. In wow. two days, to um, Charleston. In four days, he was playing with us. We sat there in a storage unit for twelve or eighteen hours or something like that, and damn man, learned a whole set of material. Once again, man, Providence. It was all meant to happen that meant way. Meant to happen. Yeah. It's all unfolding as it should. Yeah. So all together, Big Stoner Creek's been together 31 years. We had a long break. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've all been playing, and we played in various different other orchestrations mm -hmm. that weren't necessarily called Big Stoner Creek, but playing all the same songs. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I... I did a little research, read on the website. You kind of took a little break to raise a son. I did. And yeah. now he's my drummer. Now he's your drummer. Yep. You did it right. Well, you know, I, I'm I'm really proud of him, Jeremiah Fox. He is uh, just a great person, for one. And that being said, that's not why he's got the job. He's got the job because he's a really good drummer. And yeah. so it's just got lucky that he's a great drummer he knows the music. He's been around that music since, you know, the womb. Yeah. And so he it comes natural naturally to him. And I'm tickled Pink not only get to make music with Jeremiah, but I'm just tickled that that your kid'll hang out with you. Yeah. You know, and uh -huh. and and your buddies and and really be an integral part of the the band. And you know, we need a, a we need an engine, like a young, strong mm. motor yeah. that ain't scared to go fast back right. there. <laughs> uh, did he start playing at a young age? I got him his first kit when he was four. Okay, you planned this, George. <laughs> you planned it. No. <laughs> I orchestrated the whole thing. I mean, it works. It's all but coming yeah. together. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And it's did did he resist for a while? Was there? There's I'd never always. Made it, I'd never made him play i just provided an, uh, he expressed interest at a young uh -huh. age and and beating on things rhythmically and so I, I, was, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that he had an opportunity but if you ever me i i never wanted to be made to right practice or made to do anything i would resist that completely in I was spite a kid, of myself if i was a kid and you told me to do something right. you, you could be sure i'd do the opposite thing john hartford I got to hear him talk one time, or a few times, but this one time in particular, um, it was like a songwriter workshop, or some type of workshop, could have been a banjo workshop, I don't know, I was just going to it to see John Hartford, yeah. are you aware, you know John Hartford, A little gentle bit on my mind, yes. he wrote that song, Glenn Campbell, Good Time yeah. Hour, well he is just master fiddle player, banjo player, guitar player, songwriter, extraordinaire, and just a legend and some lady says hey, john how can i get my kids involved in music i really want them to do this and he said tell them to keep their damn hands off your guitar uh -huh. <laughs> that's the best thing you can do right there For don't sure. touch that right oh man the next thing you know they're sneaking in the closet <laughs> the middle of the night well that's so cool man it's so cool to have your son and i'll tell you i've listened to this album Forward, backwards, just forwards mainly. But <laughs> be careful of playing it backwards. Oh, you got some messages in you there. Just don't know okay. what might happen about the Folly Bridge. Gotcha. But yeah, man, I as soon as I put this thing on, it did not take long for me to start listening to this record and go. There's some players in Big Stoner Creek. Well, there are some players in <laughs> Big Stoner players. Creek. There's some players, and um, all those guys are are great. And we, the guy who's playing fiddle and mandolin on it. Because of our original fiddle guy Hawk was, was tragically killed in a uh, by a drunk driver about eleven eleven or twelve years ago thirteen mm. something like that. But this guy Don Lewis, his dad is Ralph Lewis, 
who was a bluegrass boy with Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. Okay. And Don is a prodigy who played the, he's played the Grand Ole Opry at 11 years old. Wow. Um, Bill Monroe gave him a mandolin when he was a kid. Okay. Um, he's, I have seen the Hee Haw with him on there playing with <laughs> Ronnie Millsap. Um, Kenny Baker, who is a renowned fiddle player, um, who also played with Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, gave three teenagers fiddles that he said were the future of fiddle music in this country. He gave one to Stuart Duncan, one to Allison Krauss, and one to Don Lewis. <laughs> and that's who yeah. playing on this record. We got to know him because he dated my sister for a while. And uh -huh. even though they split up, he always he has stayed close to our whole family, really, and and feel very fortunate to um get to play with him and he's going to come down he's going to come down and do a gig with us on the i think the 24th of june and Excellent. he's going to play with us i think when we go up to Asheville for something in july as well that's awesome i've seen you play with jesse and jesse's a hell of a guitar player as he well can, he can play and i know jamie and jamie's solid as he's a rock. what you want out of a bass player he's gonna he's gonna do it you can forget about him because he's gonna he's gonna do it he's gonna you hold know? down the bottom end right. for sure that's and right. he sings pretty good too. That's right, man. And so this record, Big Stoner Creek, self-titled, self-titled album. Because we've done other projects before, and for some reason we never, you know, people, you're supposed to do your first record, <laughs> call it your name. We never did. And yeah, there yeah. were lots of ideas getting tossed around on this one, and I just said, man, let's just simplify this. Let's just call it what we are. Yeah, I looked at the uh, I looked at the Kickstarter project you'd done. When you were kind of getting the funding to put this thing right. together, and and you said this was sort of all of your dreams to like go and do the real thing in the studio and make the make it happen, right? And that's still my dream. My dream is to do it again. Yeah, yeah, right. Excellent. I've yep. got a new list at home that says "new record" right on it, and you know, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, Fairweather Studio, Omar. I know Omar. Yep. Yeah, he's a solid drummer too. Solid, <laughs> and it has a, just a history of um, of being involved in music and and working at Fairweather Studio was an absolute total pleasure to be involved uh, with that. His it feels like home, yeah. relaxed. He was not one of these. He was easy on the clock kind of things when yeah. there was a break or something like that, and excellent, very accommodating. And Josh Roberts who produced was also instrumental in making this happen what kind of role did he take on did you guys sort of have arrangements sort of worked well, out we had or? arrangements he did some tightening up of a couple of things but he kept us just kept us focused and it was easier for an outside person that we all respected to uh be delegating than to get bogged down and us doing it it's, it's hard sometimes as a band to you know Sometimes you need ideas. to be told when to just stop fiddling with right. something and yeah, just do that. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was a good coach of uh, about drawing out another take or something or we're almost there. And, it, and I think one of the things that helped us the most with this was that we did like several in Fairweather Studios rehearsals. We actually rented mm. the space and went in there, plugged in. I was... Not concerned, but I knew it was Jeremiah's young. He'd yeah. never been in a studio situation mm -hmm. before. Didn't know how he would react when you get in there and yeah. the phones are on. And so I said, well, let's practice there, you know, a few times. And we recorded, we listened, we went over the arrangements and all that and did a lot of pre-recording work. But it turns out Jeremiah did better than anybody. <laughs> he was a turned solid. Turned out he's a pro. Solid pro. There's yeah. something to be said about feeling a room out. If the very first time that you're playing a song in a room, in a particular environment, is being recorded, it's such a weird thing. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, there's a there's a disconnect there. But if you if you feel like you're playing in your living room, right? It's it perform. You get a different performance. Yeah, we'd already spent like four days there, nice. four different practices in there, all hooked up in the same place as we were going to be when we recorded, and that was very economical. Sure. For us to do that. I'm not going to quote the price. I don't know if he gave us a deal or whatever, sure, but it yeah. was it was almost economical enough to justify doing it more often just for yeah. regular practice. 
it's easy to get distracted at your house or yeah, <laughs> or you can, and you could be loud there without any repercussions. Yeah, you know. this is cool. So when you were laying down the tracks, was it a uh, how much of it was live? Well, we played everything live together in uh -huh. the studio, and we captured you know a lot of stuff. We went back and you know redid vocals. Sure. Redid my acoustic guitar because we were getting too much too much bleed from some things. Yeah. But for the most part, most of the most of the playing was 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 live, and I think to me, I just can't ever imagine building it backwards. <laughs> you know what I? I I do. It sounds like people in a room. Like, right. but personally... Sounds like the songs are being played. Yeah, yeah. And they're imperfect. They're not They're not perfect, and we weren't trying to be perfect, and yeah. did not have the budget, nor did we <laughs> want to be perfect. There's definitely a human element to them that, for whatever reason, thankfully, I, I appreciate my human element. That's good, man. I mean, there's... You can feel a vibe when it's people in a room playing, and I... Just because of where I came from, there was really no players in my hometown. My my record I made, I play everything and I build it up from scratch. And I do believe that it suffers from that. I think I think it sounds like it. I think it sounds like it's put together. It doesn't have this cohesiveness. It doesn't have the energy. Yeah, it doesn't have, yeah, the, the immersive cohesiveness of people in a room feeding off of each other and and that, and I'm just not a drummer, so. Right. <laughs> I did want to also mention one of the things that we went back and added. Of course, Donnie, if you hear fiddle and mandolin on, yeah. on a song, we either went back and added that because, you know, when you have somebody of that caliber in a, a chance to do it, I didn't want to waste the ability to do it. And then we also, I don't know if you're familiar with the instrument called the quattro. Do you know the quattro? Is that like eight Rican. strings? It's eight strings tuned yeah. in fourths. Yeah. Jesse can play the hell out of a really? quattro, and we added it on two songs. You wouldn't even know it if I if I pointed it out to you. You would go, oh, that's what that... It just gives it just this little texture of yeah. flavor, so that was kind of cool. He's self-proclaimed best quattro player in a <laughs> tri-county area. I'll, I'll, go, I'll get behind that, man. Not because of lack of players, but we'll still, we'll go. Right. With right. It. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, I do like putting a few little things on a record and kind of putting it down low enough that maybe you don't hear it, but if you took it away, right. There'd be a little bit of a vibe. Missing. Yeah, man. I, I even noticed there's a, there's a couple tracks on there where there is a low harmony. Jamie. Really? Jamie Crisp. Yep. Yeah. I'm talking like I'm listening. Low, low, low. I'm talking low. And, I've been after him to do that for a long time, but it's really hard to do in a live situation yeah. with a with a SM58. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's just hard Omar to play had a $6,000 microphone that <laughs> you could whisper into. So sure. Jamie yeah. was able to get down there, and I really like that because everybody's all excited about people singing high harmonies and yeah, high and yeah. shit. What about them low? Oh, man. What, down there. Was it? Is it Trainwreck? There's a real low one on it, especially like those choruses. Trainwreck or Nothing in the Middle? Yeah. Nothing in the Middle, I think, has got a yeah. low one on there. And what I enjoy about this record, too, man, is it all it all blends together, but stylistically, I mean, you there's songs where you feel like, that's a bluegrass vibe. I could, right. I could hear a four-piece bluegrass doing this. And right. There's a song, Hey Colleen, is just, it's Rock rockabilly. It's, it's rock and roll. Yeah, there. it's rock and roll. Like, like Right out of the gate. Yeah. I feel like what, in what, the way it starts with, uh, Jesse goes kind of like a Chuck Berry lick yeah. and then the drums come in and yeah. I, I feel like it's like you're them revving up your hot rod and you just oh. drop it down into low and it just peels right out. Just like, yeah. and that fiddle solo Oh, before boy. the break is is as <laughs> crazy a fiddle thing as I've ever heard in my entire yeah. life. That's wild, wild. Yeah, I, that's Good that's stuff. why I'm listening. I'm listening, and like, hey, Colleen comes in right after Trainwreck, and I love the vibe of Trainwreck because it's got it's got like this like spacey sort of ethereal kind of vibe to it, and I I really love the vibe of it. Thanks. And I'm 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 like this is 
track two, and I'm loving this record. And then Hey Colleen blasts in, and there's like if you want to if you have a '57 Chevy and you're looking for a song to blast through those speakers, look no further, man, because that's that's a song for putting in a jukebox. That's a song for just blasting and and losing yourself for three minutes and thirty seven right. seconds. It's yeah, a, it's <laughs> a short one, or it, it is a one that a more preferred length of time, I guess, <laughs> for some people. But man, I I really and uh, I'm a really big fan of I like bu- uh, books, seeds, and bullets. Lyrically, I really love that Thank song. You. And that's a song where like it's getting it's like number eight in the album, and it comes up, and I'm like. Oh, they're not falling off. Like sometimes you listen to an album and those first five tracks, they're going to be the good five right. tracks. And then you get to the point where track eight, track nine, right. it, it kind of falls off a little bit and they put a little bit of filler in there right. or what have you. And I'm listening. I was like, oh no, this is just going to be a good album all the way through. Thanks. I dig on it. And I think figuring it out's a strong one. Second yeah. to the last two. I, I, um, yeah, I think the, all the songs are good. We went around and around about the order, and Jesse convinced me that, he, I mean, he's a record guy. And he goes, George, I listen to a record, and I give it three songs. If I like the first three songs, then I continue. So yeah. let's put three heavy hitters right there at the yep. beginning. And, um, and, and then, you know, ease it on back at near the end not not easing on back quality wise but easing on back tempo, tempo wise and, and vibe stuff. wise yeah josh thought and i did thought book seeds and bullets might need to be further closer to the front but okay. when you're in a band it's all about compromising and that's a high quality tune man thanks that was a interesting song choice it it, it marked i guess it was a revelation to me, which is going to sound really weird being a songwriter, that I finally started carrying around a, a, a notebook and a pen and writing <laughs> down things that I thought were interesting. What a novel concept, right? I always tell myself I should do that, and then I don't. And I was over at uh, the Soapbox one night the, at, that I do at Chico Feo, and this friend of ours, Juliet, said, uh, we were just having a conversation. I said, so how would you spend the quarantine? And she goes, I've been saving books, seeds, and bullets, baby. <laughs> and everything's gone to hell since they closed that roller rink. That's what oh, she said. Man. I said, holy crap. I'm going home. I'm going home right now. When this is done, I'm going to go write books, seeds, and bullets. Because to me, it, you know, it says a lot. It says what, what's important. Yeah. Your mind and your spirit uh, providing for the future yeah. and, and being able to, um, you know, if it get you a squirrel or get you a rabbit <laughs> or, or, or defend yourself, all of those things. It combines the practical and the metaphorical right. and it, it makes it happen. With hopefully not coming off with too much of a prepper, prepper <laughs> vibe. So why don't you play us a tune off the record? All right. I'll play Figuring It Out. You know, I wrote... Um, Rough estimate, 317 songs about unrequited love, and I figured it was time to change things up a little bit. So I wrote a song about three historical figures that uh, also like to make things up, and I called it Figuring It Out, One Mistake at a Time. And I'm hoping that I eventually run out of mistakes to make if I don't repeat, (laughs) or is it a limitless pool of mistakes to be made, infinite number? I think we just keep going back to the well, but... We're always trying to figure it out. Figuring it out. Let's hear it. Here we go. Well, old Ben Franklin by a stove getting warm. He's eating salted crackers. He got his bifocals on. He's waiting on the mailman. Bring the almanac so he can check out the personals In the very back, poor Richard calls for rain Benny thinks he might take a walk outside and fly himself a kite Oh, figuring it out One mistake at a time Damned if the reasons 
ain't worth all of the rhyme I ain't waiting on no one to show me the way Oh, I'm figuring it out Takes up most of my day Well, Thomas Edison alone is watching TV in the dark When an idea came upon him, it crossed his mind like a spark He says, I think I'll make a light bulb I won't have to hide all alone in the dark Trying to read my TV guide I'm gonna take a bunch of pictures Teach them how to move And cram a bunch of music Down into a deeper groove Oh, figuring it out One mistake at a time Damned if the reasons Ain't worth all of the rhyme I ain't waiting on no one To show me the way Oh, I'm figuring it out Takes the most of my day Oh, pick it, George That's what I call me I quit answering, though those awkward pauses made me feel awkward. Well, Da Vinci's on a rooftop with a pair of cardboard wings. He's got a stack of empty bottles and a new decoder ring. He says, I wonder what would happen I time the wind just right and surrender inhibition Jump with all my might, Will jumps just what he did He lingered for a while, and just before he hit the ground He saw Mona Lisa smile Oh, figuring it out One mistake at a time Damned if the reasons Ain't worth all of the rhyme I ain't waiting on no one To show me the way Oh, I'm figuring it out Takes up most of my day Oh, I'm figuring it out Takes up most of my day Awesome, man. Thank you. So how long did you guys work on the record for? The actual recording of it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were in the studio for uh, four and a half days. Wow, that's not a lot of time. It's not. That was our goal. We didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. You could spend money quick. And that was why we spent it on the, um, you know, the pre, the work, and tried yep. to have a really good idea a roadmap of where we were going and what we wanted to accomplish in that time period. Well, if you don't have the homework worked out before you get in the studio and you're basically writing songs in the studio or you're rehearsing. Which would be fun. Yeah, it'd be great to have that budget. It'd be great to be the Beatles and just be able to do that, you know? But yeah. One day. Nothing. <laughs> although, man, nothing focuses better than a deadline. Right. Uh, and it, it makes you shit or get off the pot, basically. It makes you right. pull it together. And, and I think you, you can you can you you can lose what you captured in um by messing with stuff too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to have energy past take five to Or you or you maybe you caught this all this great stuff, but then you just keep tweaking and keep messing yeah. and then and you you lose something. I have two people that every time I do anything, I record all my own music and I, I play all the instruments, but I have two people that I call my producers and basically their job is to take it out of my hands when it's done. Or I'll just, I'll just keep tweaking and keep playing with it and ruin it and, and basically lose the plot. Right. And you just got to know when to stop. It sounds like, you know, if everybody's playing in a room and, and it kind of the, the energy that was going into it, 
to me, it sounds like as as an engineer, this is kind of something that sort of would mix itself too. Okay. Was it was a lot of mixing going on, or did it just now when we got to the mixing part that that went on for some time, but it was mainly due to the, how the process worked, and it was um, we weren't there when it's being mixed. Sure, Omar would do a rough mix, and then he would send it to essentially me and Josh, uh-huh. and then Josh and I would have to find the time we would listen to it separately. Mm-hmm. And then we would converse about what we thought, and then we would take our notes to Omar, who would make these adjustments, and then send it back to us. And 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 really, after a couple of songs, he he really anticipated what we were going to say, and it got quicker. But it, it did. I wasn't prepared for how long that process took. I mean, if it if it has to do that much bouncing around, that's right. just the logistics. It took it. a couple that's of gonna, months of yeah. bouncing around. But now that it is it. a thing, now that it's a solid object in your hands, it how is. do you feel about it? I feel great. I, I'm um, I'm proud of the body of work. I'm proud of the. I'm happy to have played with and made that with people that I love. Yeah, um, my friends, and to create something that you know. Do I have aspirations of it being a <laughs> mega hit? No, we're playing. We're playing Americana. We're music. Not that that can't be great, but you're you're dragging anchor whenever you <laughs> try to make money doing stuff like that. I think. I don't know. You don't want to lose the love of it. Don't want to lose the love. And and you you can tell that you're making it with the love, and that's the most important thing. It's it's not like. It's not like you made it all out of love and it's a bad album. It's right. a great, like I said, man, I I put this record on and it, it was at headphones for a while. And then I was with people I work with. I was like, listen to this, man. I know this guy. This is, and they're Thanks. like, damn, that's a, that's good. A like, lot of people seem surprised too. I don't know. I guess it was because maybe I was gone for some time around here and, you know, but we, we, we definitely still have a, um, a, a section of, of people that were that were fans of ours and friends of ours from the beginning, yeah, that are still out there. Um, it's a little daunting. It's a new world. When we made our last record, there was no such thing as streaming platforms. Yeah, the only way you could um, get a record to somebody was that they had to either get it in a record store, or, and we did have a we had a label support. We went out of. It played in cities, and the record was there. I, I remember my mind being blown when we went to Colorado for the first time, and we're playing really nice club out there. There were people singing some of my songs wow. in Colorado. Yeah, I actually I haven't heard the other record. You know, because it's, you're going to hear them. Uh, I'm going to start re. I'm going to go into the archives and and stick them out there in the world. Nice. I should have probably done that prior to releasing the new one, but I really felt like it was important to get a new body of work out sure. there to give people, at the, because we're trying to play more gigs. You don't want the first thing to be the most readily available to not be the current thing. Right. Yeah, I can dig on that. I can't wait to hear the the other records. Man. There'll be a, uh, a single coming out on um, May 20th. Okay. Off of our uh, EP called Cambio. The song's called Glory, Glory, which was a great a great experience making that record. We had a amazing Hammond B3 player Ooh. playing with us. It was like me, guitar, Hawk, fiddle, Hammond B3, bass, and, and drums, oh, nice. and piano. So I was like, what the hell? I'm going to start sticking it out there. What's your yeah. thoughts about having label support versus kind of doing this yourself? Um, You know, I... It, it's just a whole new world. It, it's really nice to be able to do it yourself and and put it out there in the ether sphere and see that somebody in Poland listened to it or <laughs> a couple people in the Netherlands and and stuff. But it's also daunting too because there's just so much out there that it's just like you're just like this little bitty water yeah. droplet. In yeah. the middle of the Indian Ocean. It democratizes everything, but at right. the same time, it dilutes it. Right. You know? 
when it comes to your songwriting, do you have any kind of tried and true methods? Do you have something that you like, this is my songwriting hat that I put on and. Well, a little bit. I mean, actually breaking out a pen and a piece of paper is about the biggest formula I've got and just saying, are you going to write something? But I usually start, if I have an idea or a line or somebody says something like book seeds and bullets, or uh -huh. I get an idea for a song, I'll just start looking for a, a groove that I can play over and over and, and start just kind of singing along to till it just happens. Yeah. I mean, I, sometimes <laughs> I just don't even know how or, or why. It's not like I lose consciousness or anything and it comes out. It's just like. Song boom, just sneaks up is. on you. Yeah, it just sneaks up. It's like right. you're fishing. And <laughs> you catch a lot more fish if you keep throwing your line in the water. Yeah. Uh, do you sit down with the guitar and you kind of record stuff on your phone? or you... I will get an idea and record it on the phone. And, and so I don't, because if you. You can lose that groove if you yeah. don't have a reminder of what it was. Even, I mean, I can lose what I was doing. Like by the time I get up and, <laughs> you know, go pour myself a glass of tea or something. And I come back and go, oh, my God, how come this isn't as cool as it was five minutes ago? Such a delicate so The phone thing. helps a yeah. lot. Who are your songwriting influences? Well, Danielle Howell. Mm -hmm. probably the biggest one in my life. Um, not that you would ever compare my songwriting to hers, but uh, that, that all in creativity and just genius ability to transform thought into, um, uh, into music and rhyme is somebody I think about every time I'm writing a song. And then beyond her, I would say... John Prine and Bob Dylan. Are there any songs out there that you consider to be sort of the pinnacle of songwriting? Like you, th you listen to a song and you go, damn, they did it. That's a great question. Um, I've got some favorite songs for sure. One of them is um, Don't Think Twice It's All Right mm. by Bob Dylan, which I think is an amazing song. Um, it could be anything, almost anything the Beatles did, almost all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really, I have a hard time with if I get to thinking about that, uh, thinking about them compared to uh, what I'm doing. I, I hate to even call myself a songwriter. I like to think, I, I just make stuff up, make <laughs> shit up. You know, if you ever try, if you ever even attempt to compare yourself to the Beatles, I mean, I always like, I always think in terms of like, oh man, they broke up when like, they were under 30 when they broke up and I'm 40 and that's not even old, but man, how do you, how did they do that in eight years? <laughs> well, it helped that they're musical geniuses. Yeah. It that didn't hurt. That does and help, they ended up in a situation where they had all the tools at their disposal and, and apparently a, a limitless budget yeah. to just live in the studio. And I go, wow, what would it ever be like just to spend a week with your band just just playing all day long? I mean, we'd probably break up too. <laughs> but it might something really cool might happen if you just got beyond that. Well, I gotta go. I gotta. Yeah, I gotta go pick up my laundry or whatever. Kind of. They thing. lived on the cutting edge of music. They <laughs> were the cutting edge. Yeah, they, they were inventing the, the stuff that everybody yeah. uses now. And they were doing it with four tracks yeah, <laughs> and tape. They were turning stuff around and backwards. And I don't know. I'm sure you've watched the McCartney one, two, three. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. mind boggling. Hill now is definitely enshrined as my uh, favorite Beatle. I'm, I'm a Paul guy. I've, they've all been my favorite at some point in the other, but that, sure. that both the, the get back and that, McCartney one two three just made me go. Paul's the guy hearing everything. I'm a fan of what Paul could even bring to other Beatles music. Right. I I I'm not gonna make the argument that he was the best songwriter in the Beatles. I won't make that argument because John wrote 
a lot edgier things. And George ended up writing just some beautiful stuff at the end there. I think Paul heard all the parts, though. Yes. You know, where everybody else was just like me. I'm just writing a song. It's yeah. me and my guitar. Paul heard. Yeah. You know, the they celestial the music of Paul, the spheres. Paul decorated the cake. Decorated I mean, the cake. You listen to like something, like Harrison something, and you take that bass line out, and it's 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 still a beautiful song. I got I got chills right here just thinking about that. And oh my god. How's that you can't fake that. That's that's no. magic. I'm thinking about music that oh. these people made and it's Yeah. You know, I'm sure there's three people out there that say that guy's an idiot, the Beatles suck. But no, I'll fight anybody. Fist fight if I all have three to. of them. Yeah, <laughs> I I take it just from what we're talking about. You, are you an albums guy? I love albums. What are your like? If if I tell you we're going to Desert Island, you get to bring five albums. What are your albums? Oh, wow. It could be more than five, but what's your what's your go to? <laughs> Leon Russell, nineteen seventy live, nineteen seventy two. Okay, yeah. John Hartford, Aeroplane. Bob Dylan, Blonde on Blonde. Johnny Mitchell, Blue. Mm. And how many is that? I don't know. You I think can that keep was maybe it. You four. can keep naming great albums all day. Um, I'm in. I don't know. I, maybe even the freewheeling Bob Dylan record blew my mind. Or Revolver. What the oh. hell am I talking about? <laughs> Exile on Main Street. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah, I tried to. And, and that record right there was thought of as an album. And actually, it's the order we would have done it in if it had been side A and side B, five on one and five on the other. Yep. yep. Uh, and hopefully we will um, turn it into a piece of vinyl one day. Yeah, I tried to think of my record in terms of like, okay, 40 minutes and then what's the split? And Right. I even thought. Same thing, too. We're yeah. like, we're right at the max. I think that record comes out to um right at 21 minutes aside yep. i even thought in terms of like okay track five you know that end side one and then then when you flip it this is what begin. i i i'm an album guy through and through right. that's what i thought about i like the i like that uh cohesive thought um apparently a lot of people are getting away from that today but yeah but that's fine there's so much room in music like I, there is, there's right, just, right. there's things I don't care for and I'm not against it. It's right. just, there's not well, a cup well, of tea. Yeah. Well, there's all this stuff happening over here and it, if it makes people happy, super. And then there's so much that there can also be something over here that blows my skirt up. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm into it there. It, as long as there's recorded music, even if it is only in bits and bytes in the digital stream, people are going to make eight to 12 to 15 songs that work together and they're still going to be, that's still going to happen. Right. And if it doesn't, then. And we're probably going to go back. Everything's a pendulum swinging. There'll be yeah. a, for all the people that aren't doing that, that's just going to make the people that like it want to do it more. Sure. And, it'll know, get cool again. And then everybody will do it. I mean, that <laughs> thing I do on Mondays, I'm blown away by uh, the audience's receptivity of, People making stuff up. It's Tell like, me about the soapbox. See, George, right now, George is talking about the songwriter soapbox out at Chico Feo. Tell me about that. Man, it's a open forum. It's kind of, I don't like the term open mic. That implies anybody can come. But you got to be a songwriter yeah. or a poet or, or, or an author. I don't care. As long as you're making it up yourself, mm -hmm. comedian, whatever. And we have had so much success and what's made it happen is we've got an audience that comes out and they will drink a beer, having fun, whooping and a hollering, and then a poet gets up there to read their poetry and you can hear a pin drop. Mm. You've got 150 people that, that, that settle down and they're just like, they're eating this up. They're so invested in seeing these people triumph. And a lot of people, it's their first time doing the stuff. But as a result of the audience being willing to listen and open to the to receiving this, we keep getting amazing established artists come play that are that are pro musicians that are working and it's their night off and they come and play for free. Yeah, 
for 15 or 20 minutes. And there is, I'm seeing people, bands meet there. Mm. Uh, people are getting together, collaborating. Um, just this week, we had Dan Lottie came from, are you familiar with Danger Muffin? Yeah. Yeah, one of the song one of the songwriters from Danger Muffin came and did a set. We got had Joel Timmons from um, Soul Driven Train and his wife Shelby Means, who's on the road with Molly Tuttle. We're just there Monday night. She's yeah. in between. She's at home for like four days, and she's out there at the soapbox, you know, making music, hanging out, and it's it's a scene, man. I. I gotta say, man, I I feel I feel so bad of how rarely I'm able to make it out. Well, I'm, I don't because you're probably you're 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 working and. Well, I I it's mostly that I get up. It's on Monday and I get up at five thirty right. on Tuesday, and and I need that not make bad, bad an excuse and get out because I will say that it is a rare and beautiful thing that you have out there. Um, the, the only, the only thing it even remotely reminds me of is for a while, Danielle was doing Holy City Confessionals. Well, that was the inspiration for me wanting to do it. When they asked me, I was just walking by Chico Feo one day and I said, Hey George, you want to host the open mic night? Mm. And I said, hell no. (laughs) And then I went on into Burt's there and got me a 12 pack of Pat's Blue Ribbon and thought to myself, George, you just quit your job. (laughs) <laughs> and this is kind of music related. You should probably take this opportunity on a Monday night. And I walked back out and I said, you know, would you have any problem with me making an, uh, um, an open situation for people who write their own stuff? And they said, ah, we don't care what you do with it. Mm. With no expectation of it being what it is now. And now it's one of their best nights. Monday night. I would think so. We had, I would out. like to say we had maybe 200 people there this past mm. Monday. And it's a man. It's the, the few times I've been there. It's a fellowship. I mean, it is. It's a brother and sisterhood. It's people seeing each other that haven't that haven't a, seen each other a in a week man. since they were there and and sharing their songs. And I one time I was even able to bring my wife and I was nudging her. Hey, that guy over there. Wait till you see him go up and wait till you see, that's Fleming's brother. Wait till you see Wesley go up and re- it's always going to be irreverent and amazing. And wait till you see him play and her play. And yeah, I felt bad. Mike Kaufman was our featured artist the other day. Who's amazing. Uh, finger picker and a great songwriter and stuff. And I get a phone call from uh, Hans Wenzel. Yeah. And he says, Hey George, you got any room for me out there? I want to come, play and I go yeah I got some and then I made it a point to uh, not put Mike right after Hans because his you know nothing against I wouldn't want to go right after Hans right yeah his vocal ability is amazing (laughs) his songs are good and it's just he just lights the so I had sandwiched one other unsuspecting person in between yeah 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 <laughs> but then something happened that they were late uh. and i did i had to put Hans <laughs> right there after mike and i was like and he did he triumphed and it was it was wonderful but i did feel bad to, <laughs> to here's a know. weight to carry mike yeah do your you best <laughs> yeah i and even even myself i'm kind of a i'm a quiet kind of guy my songs are generally pretty slow pretty right. low energy sort of lyric and emotionally driven right. and and some places sometimes that works and sometimes right. that doesn't and it's but you've you do a pretty good job of making sure everybody is where they need to be try to yeah. put some thought into it probably more thought than I, <laughs> than I should <laughs> but it's fun so yeah man congrats on getting that going that is such a commendable and and beautiful i just thing feel out happy there. to be caught up in the middle of it and yeah. with all a whole bunch of people i couldn't do it without that's excellent. You know, I really feel like I just opened a door that a bunch of people were waiting to walk through. And right place, right time, right. man. That's it's you've met the right people, you've done the right things, you've gone to the right places, and and man. You know, if you're open to that, it kind of happens. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Maybe. That's my theory anyway. There's two things I'm trying to do more of in life is number one say yes and that's not say yes to every request everybody makes it's boundaries are important right but uh, number one tell the universe what you want from it boom or you'll never 
it, it also know. helps you decide what you want. And number two, when the universe comes back with something a little weird and strange and funny and uncomfortable, try to say yes. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think the same way. And it's been, I've just been thinking about that lately. Your natural response, be positive instead of, you know, a lot of people. Are, nope. Yeah. Nope. yeah that's, oh, Can't do that. That makes Can't me uncomfortable. That. Uh, that's like, a scary place. Do it. Sorry. <laughs> You're good. Uh, so, yeah, folks, get out to Chico Feo if you, if you have an original song, if you have an original poem, or if you just want to be inspired. Right. And, and not even if you're not a, a creative in terms of that, if you just want to be inspired by creative energy and it wants to make you a better accountant. It, I'm addicted to it, really. Yeah. Nothing gets me more fired up than, than something being made out of nothing. You catch a vibe off catch of it. Catch a vibe. And it might not even be my flavor of music. Uh, and I still get excited about it. Yeah. That's so cool, man. Well, thank you so much for coming out this afternoon. Um, you want to share one more tune with us? Sure. I will do um, Subway, uh, which I um, wrote after my first trip to New York City. So it's an older song, but we just never did anything with it until now. And um, it actually mentions Ernest Tubbs' record store in it, which actually just sold. And so... It was released. I finally had a timely release. Not that three people have heard it, but, you know, Ernest Tubbs' record store is in the song. Let's see if I remember how to play it. Well, I'm waiting on a subway train in an all-natural cigarette Is one that won't stay in my brain And it gets me where I got to get Oh, well, it is an old rattle no Who read about it in the magazine It's at the back of Ernest Tubbs' record store It was the prettiest place I'd never seen It's time to flow On down the line Yet taking it easy eases my mind And I'm living my life From inside of my dreams Will I jump into that cold water up for me washes me clean Well, this is not a highway song Although the highway's got its part to play No story of true love gone Only to return some other day No, this is a song of here and now And the joy that we all gotta spread And the love that we have to share Why can't you get that through your head? It's time to flow on down the line Yet taking it easy Eases my mind And I'm living my life From inside of my dreams Will I jump into that cold muddy river Thank you so much for coming out, George. It's been wonderful talking to you and getting to know you a little better, hearing your songs, hearing your stories, and I pledge to make it out to Chico Feo a lot more than I have in the past. Well, we'll love to have you there, and thank you uh, for all you're doing for uh, uh, original music and songwriters. You um, actually got me into listening to podcasts. <laughs>
uh, which I'd never done really until yours. All right. Well, I don't know you. why. <laughs> Thanks so much. You're welcome. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with George Fox, a.k.a. Foxy G. It was great getting to know more about him and his music. And I need to not be such a stranger over at Chico Feo on Monday nights. It's a really cool thing he's running over there at the Songwriter Soapbox. If you are a local musician, I suggest maybe even not intend to play the first time around. Just go and see what it's all about. Get to meet George, meet other local musicians in the area. And uh, if I happen to be there, come up and introduce yourself to me. I'd love to talk to more singer-songwriters here in the Charleston area and beyond. Uh, Thank you once again for listening to Songs of the Unsung. Uh, Check out the Facebook page, website, Instagram, YouTube channel. Always can use those likes, shares, clicks. Have a great day. Thank you so much.